Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 985. Uh, I have a bunch of stand-up dates up. You know what I should do? Because ID10T.com is not ready just yet. Oh, but soon. I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you. Just so you know where my brain went. That's Cats in the Cradle where the dad keeps promising to play with the kid. And the kid's like, I'm going to grow up to be just like you. And then when the dad's really old, the kid's like, I'm too busy to hang out with you. And the dad's like, he's just like me. That's how I feel like the the promises for the new ID10T.com. But it's coming up, I swear. Uh, but until then, maybe I'll just do an Instagram post with uh, the upcoming dates, the stand-up dates on them. It's like, you know, uh, Brea, California, Phoenix, um, Denver, Portland, um, Minneapolis, I think Nashville. There's a bunch. There's a bunch. Uh, so they'll they'll be coming up soon. And uh, Talking Dead is back. Walking Dead is back. Uh, so lots of good zombie times in the apocalypse. <laughs> We're taking a break from our real apocalypse to watch the fictionalized apocalypse. Where does it end, and where do we begin? I ask you, good people. Uh, so let's first go to the ID10T corkboard. Events at ID10T.com is how you can uh, submit yours. All right. Cody writes, I want to tell you about my friends Tim and Brian's horror movie podcast, the Civil Gore podcast. Brian is from New Jersey. Tim is from North Carolina. Hence the play on words in the title. Each week they discuss Blu-ray releases, theatrical releases, and exciting things happening in the horror community. They watch a different horror movie each week and discuss it. They are getting ready to start their third season and are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. They also have a YouTube channel where you can listen to all of their episodes. If you like good friends getting together and talking about horror movies, give them a listen. That's nice, Cody. Well, good job. I don't know you. I don't know your work. But I know that you're very talented and I'm never wrong about these things. Oh, it's Martin Short's character in the big picture. God, that movie still holds up. If you get a chance, watch the big picture. That's my community corkboard submission for you, besides my stand-up dates, is Christopher Guest's The Big Picture, starring Kevin Bacon, Michael McKeon, Martin Short. Uh, it, it's, it still really works. Uh, so that's that. This episode is Tim Robbins. Oh, you should probably also watch The Player, because that, com- released around the same time, also totally holds up, too. I mean, a lot of his movies actually 1,000% hold up. Uh, Tim was on almost exactly a year ago, 
And uh, he came back on uh, this time. I went down to Culver City to – this was recorded at the Actors Gang Theater, the theater that Tim owns and has run since like, I don't know, 1983, I believe. And uh, it's an incredible theater, an incredible space. I went to see his uh, show there last year, New Colossus, and it was incredible. Um, so if you're in L.A., in Culver City, go down. Uh, on Thursday nights, I believe they do a pay-what-you-can thing because they want everyone to be able to experience a the theater. And the theater company is really incredible. It's a, just an incredible group of creative people. Um, two of the company members are on, Bob Turton and uh, Will Thomas McFadden. Uh, Bob stars in the this production that they're that's running right now called Accidental Death of an Anarchist. It was written by Italian playwright and Nobel Prize winner Dario Fo, and uh, Dario Fo, and directed by Will Thomas McFadden. Uh, it's running right now Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays at eight p.m. and a couple of Sundays at two p.m. through March 9th at the Actors Gang Theater in Culver City. So go to theactorsgang.com to purchase tickets. But Culver City is phenomenal, by the way. You, you go there to this really cool historic building the theater's in, and there's a million incredible restaurants around there, too. So make a night of it! But the thing that I love about Actress Gang is not only, you know, that, like I said, they have this idea that theater should be able to be experienced for everyone, but um, they do incredible stuff there, and all the company members, it seems like the company members kind of flip-flop. So sometimes they'll direct, sometimes they'll act, sometimes they'll... Uh, bring in their own stuff. They'll do, they do a lot of other productions, like in this case. And so uh, Will directed this one, um, and Bob is starring in this one. So go see it. Support live theater. Support creativity. And uh, this was just, I mean, I fucking love Tim. I don't know what to say. I You know, I always pretty much idolized this guy growing up and then last year he came from the podcast and he was rad and then he emailed me and was like hey can I come back on the podcast I'd love to hang out and talk about accidental death of an anarchist so we talk a bit about the theater and we talk about this play but also some really good life stuff in here y'all uh so I hope you enjoy this episode uh, as much as I enjoyed recording it at the actors gang theater it's uh, id10t number 985 with tim robbins Bob Turton, and Will Thomas McFadden. Rolling! Initiating ID10T protocol. A spry Tim Robbins. Welcome to your theater. You know these guys. Making sure everything works. Everything works. You don't know what the hell. Water be nice. I'm okay for water. Water and silence. They were all just talking. Is that a baby? Yeah. Yeah, that's a baby. Cool. Get that baby in here. <laughs> the what are you feeling, baby? What are you? Damp? I can't see you. Not fun. Just gotta work on the uh, There we go. You got all this backlight. We do. There we go. Uh, I have become the uh, 
grandfather at the restaurant now who has to hold the light, the light of the phone to see the menu. Because <laughs> there's so many like good restaurants in LA. It's just they're just so dimly lit, and I don't know if it's to keep out. Like if you're above forty, don't fucking come in here because I can't read anything. It's too intimate. What are you saying? I'm saying. What are you saying? That we're all some of us. I can't see you. I don't. Know, I don't know where these. I don't know where you, you fall. Do you also the, have to hold it out here? There's a lot of people I see doing a little this, bit. This a little bit. Just light. trying to get some more light on it. Yeah. What is tartar? Like it's really it's embarrassing. <laughs> they were talking about The Bachelor. I was trying to understand. Oh, you can't. You just sell us out like that, right? <laughs> right off. Immediately throw you on the bus. I thought that was off the record. So these diehard Bachelor fans are basically doing. A you guys watch The Bachelor? <laughs> yes. Welcome to our Bachelor podcast. It's called The Final Bros. <laughs> I'm really working on that. Don't steal that. <laughs> Welcome to our Bachelor podcast. It's called I Watch It Because My Girlfriend Had It On, and so I just caught like the last. Just kind of fell into it. Yeah, I, I was busy fell... making a concrete slab, and it was on in the background. And, uh, can you guys believe that? Uh, While I'm doing carpentry, I was punching a steak, and, uh, <laughs> and this was just on in the background. Right, right, exactly. I right. mean, but I do, but I, you know, like it obviously is important. I think especially. Like to have things that we can enjoy, because obviously you come to Actors Gang, you can see uh, fun stuff, silly stuff. You can also see things that are very heavy, heavy and have like very deep messaging. I do think it. I, I'm not an entertainment snob. I do think that there is a place for like The Bachelor. Do you have any co- sort of like? We're doing Bachelor the Musical. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. You didn't know that. Oh, you guys didn't tell him. Well, we didn't want to spoil the surprise. All right. Oh, this Pretty is exciting. exciting. It's pretty exciting. It'll be live broadcast all over cable. I mean, listen. Nobody breaks their foot. If you did do that, would, would you do that thing where if you do it once as a joke and it's just like the highest selling, grossing thing you've ever done? It would be. It yeah. would be. It would be. Yeah. It would immediately <laughs> sell out. Yeah. yeah. Which is why we're probably not going to do it. Because you just don't want the temptation. No, I just don't know. We don't want the extra income. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> too much. We'd have like a residency in Vegas. <laughs> we'll, we'll pick the bachelor from the audience every night. Oh. That's how it works. Yeah. Right? Uh, thing, like, would there be a more surreal sight than like pulling up like outside the Mirage Hotel? Tim Robbins presents the Bachelor, bachelor the, the Musical. musical. What the sold fuck? out <laughs> for the next eight months? Yeah. And you know, the, the contract was so bad, I had to actually perform in it every night. Too. I play the rose. <laughs> yeah, it's a small part, but. <laughs> What hell, you know? It's showbiz. Yeah, it works, work. You know, like, I'm an actor. An actor does not, like, there an are no bad acts. parts. You know, like, it's all what you bring plant, to it. Plant work is actually the newest thing they're teaching a lot. He has this, this beautiful aria in the third act of The Rose. Yeah, yeah. Tim got all addicted to meth in Vegas. It was a bad sight. It yeah, was it, was, like, it really brought the quality of the show, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it just wasn't But it still sold out every yeah. single week. Sold out, week. though. Yeah. Fantastic show. Mm-hmm. Bachelor the Musical. Week. Yeah, very sad. At the Actors Game. <laughs> the story of that is the play. Yeah. What what is the what is the is there a committee process when you're kind of determining what shows run here or do you, do you I what I did last year was I asked everyone to submit favorite plays of theirs and then basically the way it ideally works is you find the directors in it and see what they're excited about. Yeah. So both uh uh we had we had thought about a couple of plays we're doing. And then I went to Will and asked him if he uh, if he wanted to direct uh, Anarchist. Nice. And he said yes. And then Bob is going to direct a play that I co-wrote with Adam Simon from 1985 called Violence, the Misadventures of Spike Spangle Farmer. 
Which is a raucous satire and pretty brutal. Oh, Still yeah. relevant. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that's the, generally the process. You know, I'm trying to uh, nurture talent that is at the gang. Cool. The writers and directors. And so we've got some slots for writers this year. And all of our shows are being directed by gang members now. And do you find that it's like that sort of holistic approach to like you act in one or you direct another? You do, does it just sort of give you like a full 360 degree creative experience? Is it like what do you feel like that does for you as a performer to then go direct and then go back to acting again? Oh, I'm looking forward to it, um, directing this spring after performing in this show. We're also writing, too. We did a, a one-act festival last year, so we're, we're really encouraging each other to write and create in all different aspects, which is great because um, it, it, it does. It pushes us in all different directions, and we grow from that and learn from that. And um, I don't know. What, what do you think, Will? I mean, Yeah, I mean, at this point, we've worked together for eight years, um, so it's nice to be able to switch hats and jump in from directing and change over to you know to acting i'm excited to hopefully be in his play so Let i'm excited to me. see you in this i do, do you know bob did bob tell you how we met <laughs> i used to do this show called at midnight and bob came in and played a dick <laughs> like like full on i can't remember oh, yeah. what the i can't remember what the sketch or what the bit was but you were just in a giant dick suit with yeah. balls at the feet yeah it was from it was a, an extension of that dennis quaid onset freakout thing we did for funnier die and then uh, I, I don't know if at midnight, you know, you guys brought me on as the big special guest from the Dennis Quaid onset. Freak. I think everyone expected Dennis Quaid to the show, but it was just me in this costume. So. But that no one's going to say no to that. No, 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 no. It, it was a great experience. You know, and we were talking uh, a little bit before, like, because sure. I wasn't sure. I was like, wait a minute, did we supply the dick costume? And you said, no, I think it was a funnier die. I'm like, funnier of die. course yeah, it yeah. was funnier die. No, but so, then we were also thinking it was dry clean. Were you able to grow as a dick? <laughs> it's, it's funny that you say that. There was one point, Chris, you were, I remember you were like there. rubbing my arm or something like that. And I was like, yeah, you have no idea what's going to happen. If yeah, we didn't, we didn't know. Yeah. And we don't know what we can show. Yeah. But I just imagine Funny or Die probably has a closet of like, okay, American, European, you want circumcised, uncircumcised, <laughs> <Exactly>. stubby. Yeah. You <laughs> know, we have a, the vagina closet. Yeah, the here. vagina yeah. closet is separate, uh, you know, but it's... Uh, separate but equal. Separate. We, we did That's a right. show, we did Lissa Strata here, and there were about, how many penises were there on stage? There were four, I think four or five giant... Giant penises. Giant dicks at, the, at, that one at a time on stage. This is the most we've, uh, giant penises we've ever, ever had on stage. People dressed up as penises or people just with their no, penises No, they out? had these like things oh. that were like, as hard to describe on radio. But, uh, it's like, a, yeah, they were about um, five feet long. Well, the, it, the, I was the magistrate, and he <laughs> had the sh- the, sh- the chodiest of them all. Yeah, he, had, <laughs> <laughs> he, the, he was the most powerful. So That's his, my new favorite superlative, no, chodiest. Uh, this is, is a classic Greek uh, <laughs> comedy. I don't know if you're aware of it. Aristophanes wrote it, and uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, we found in theater education, uh, we found out about this play. Yeah, these, uh, uh, the dicks are very period, too. Yeah, yeah. We want to be as authentic as possible. These are very authentic. They customers. actually did do that. They had that. The Greeks were very famous for their phalluses. Of course. Yeah, they, I mean, that was their shit right there. They was like, you, if you don't do a comedy without dicks... Yeah, it's not. You're like, an idiot. What are you really doing? Mm-hmm. And it was kind of that's the model of theater. That's how theater started. You know, it, it had its very serious fare with these tragedies where people are stabbing their eyes out and shit. Right. And then they had the comedies where they were like, you got to appeal to the public. Yeah. And the public likes dick jokes. They love them from the start. And when they're not liking dick jokes, they're liking fart jokes. Exactly. And then they yeah. go back. Exactly. But I guess that's sort of like, how do you find the balance between, you know, uh, 
things that are socially relevant and leave people, you send people home with like something to think about or something to feel or a new way to perceive. Well, Lysistrata is a, a totally anti-war play. It's a play about what happens when the women refuse to have sex with their men until mm-hmm. the war is stopped. Right. That's, right. that was the original comedy. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, Dario Fo is a genius at it. Dario Fo in Accidental Death of an Anarchist is able to talk about really serious subject matter. And it is one of the funniest plays I've ever read or seen. It's, it made me want to start writing plays. Uh, his, his approach is, is he, he understands, and someone was talking about this after seeing it the other night, that when an audience laughs together... They understand that they're understanding something together. They're experiencing something together. They feel the same way about it because they're laughing together about it. Right. You never know that when you're seeing a tragedy. Mm-hmm. You never know that when you're seeing a serious play. You're affected by it, but you have no idea how, how the person next to you is feeling about right. it. With a comedy, he's able to unite the people in the audience, uh, know that they are not alone that they are part of a community and that this crazy shit that's happening in the world, that, that, that other people feel the same way about it as they do. Right. Which is the genius of, of Dario Fo. Is mm. He's able to write about very serious things and bring us all to a common feeling about it. I mean, that's comedy and it's, I think, in its best, most intended form. But I do think that idea of, of, a, of a, basically a flash community, an instant community of people coming together and feeling... And that's why I think it's so hard when... Um, to try to blow stuff up either into a film or to, you know, um, to make things bigger. That, like, there's some stories that are just, I think, meant to be told intimately because that's the experience, you know? Like, you just can't feel it the same way if you're not intimately, like, right up on top of it with a small group yeah. of people. Yeah. And so it's something we just experienced when we were out on tour with The New Colossus is, this, is that the universal, universality of the story that we're telling, but also just the incredible experience of... Being with different audiences and the profound effect it has not only on us but on the on the audience themselves, that's something you never kind of you never forget those experiences. Like I, I can talk about live experiences I've been in that have profoundly moved me or changed me in some way. Films are a little different. They're you know yeah they can be very moving and they can affect you, but that live experience is something that I, in my memory at least stays so fresh. Right. Well, also, again, you're, when you're live, you're directly connected to the audience. And when you're in film, there's a buffer between you and the audience, which is essentially like the editor, the director, like all these other people are in between you and the audience. And so your performance is really not entirely yours. That's you right. can just kind of give them whatever you can. And it's like, well, I hope they assemble this well, yeah. but I don't know. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're also not a fourth wall type of theater. Like We do right. a lot of direct address talking right to the audience. And something with Dario Fo especially is he, he had a way of making the audience feel like they were on stage. And that's something that we're always trying to do here, too. Yeah. When, as, as a, so when you, when you approach, how many plays have you directed? Uh, including the, the summer shows. I think this is my fifth or sixth here at the game. And how does that change how you, does, how does that change you as a performer? Like when you, because I would imagine you have to have like more of a bird's eye view. So you really sort of a puppeteer in a way you're, you're kind of trying to make all these things work with the audience. So how does that change you when then you go back and perform? Well, this is the first show that I've actually directed where I didn't also act in it. So I'm used to being on stage, running lines with people and then jumping out of it and trying to get that bird's eye view. So it's really nice with this show 
to just be up in the seats and to see the whole thing. But yeah, I, I mean, I feel like I have to be able to play every character. So it's, it's a fun challenge to be able to get into the mindset of everybody and be able to solve all those problems. But, and, oh, go ahead, Bob. I was going to say, it really, one of the great things about our company, being an ensemble company, uh, was exposed by this. You know, sometimes if you're like, you're working at a restaurant, right? And then you're, uh, you're, your fellow server gets promoted to being a manager and suddenly he's telling you what to do. And it's like, well, this is not cool. <laughs> Here, Will and I, Will and I work with Last week, you were smoking pot by yeah, the dumpster. Exactly. You can't fucking like, tell me I'm five minutes late. Exactly. Fuck you. Yeah. Exactly. Your side work. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so when, when Will started directing, this started with a play called Captain Greedy's Carnival last year. And then with this, it's we've worked with each other as actors for, you know, what, eight, we said about eight years now. Yeah. And uh, suddenly, uh, I'm collaborating with Will as a director only in this play, and it's been a seamless transition. That's just amazing, and it's it's really cool to watch how uh, how Will has grown into this uh, leader, you know. And I keep telling you, I'm just like, man, you're such a great leader. It's awesome. It's it's really fun to follow Will, like we followed him in, in rehearsals, and to trust uh, in that new, different way. So yeah, and we also have a you know a shorthand with each other because of the way that we train. So we're we're so quick and facile to just get to work. We don't have this two-week period where we're like, hey, nice to meet you. Uh, where did you study? Where did you go to school? Right. Like right. We just dive right in. And uh, I'll, be playing, I'll be playing your lover. Oh, that explains the dick costume. I loved you in that Colgate toothpaste commercial. You <laughs> well, that's, a, that's sort of balance between like, um, basically, you know, commercialism, like things have to right. get paid for. Right. And right. it's sort of like we're making the joke about Bachelor the Musical, but it's like, you know, that could fund... A bunch of really artistic things for a while, and so mm. how do you how do you make that delineation? And what are, like what are you will what compromises are you willing to? I guess that's really kind of what life is, is like. What compromises are you willing to make to do your art? Well, uh, with the gang, it's been uncompromised. Yes, because the problem with doing that Bachelor of the Musical is that everyone wants another Bachelor of the Musical after that one is over. <laughs> We'd also have the networks to please. And yeah, you have a bunch of suits showing up. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. United Airlines presents <laughs> Bachelor of the Musical. <laughs> <laughs> you know. No, we've been we've, we've managed to avoid that kind of corporate whoredom uh, that uh, has that a lot of institutions have to do in order to survive yeah by keeping it uh, pretty simple for a while not trying to get too big right keeping the it, it like a laboratory instead of an industry right and so in doing that it we've been, been able to carve out a niche that is um, kind of uncompromised and and uh, has a certain quality to it I think people know that when they come to the theater that we are. We think things out, and we do things uh, that are entertaining and socially minded, and they're curated in a way. It's not just catch as catch can. It's not like we're not trying to pander to our audiences. We're not trying to give them the most popular play from you know five years ago right. that's available now for rights. You know, it's not our alley. It's not what we do. Well, I also think we all assume, and maybe this is just because we're you know, in American culture in this day and age, but we, I think everyone just assumes that everything has to scale up. So you got to keep scaling, you got to keep scaling. And you forget like <clears throat> that costs something, you know, it's like you, you're going to lose intimacy or you're going to lose control of your project. Or you're going to lose, you know, it's going to have to go broader. And I think maybe people who are creatively stuck, like it's okay for them to say to themselves, like this doesn't need to get bigger. This yeah. doesn't have to be huge. This doesn't have to appeal to everyone. And it doesn't have to, 
you know, make $10 million. It can just be this intimate thing that's mm-hmm. just for us or for a, a slightly larger group of people. We're not programmed that way, though, in show business or in any business no. for that matter. I was thinking about this last night about this idea of what retirement is, you know, and the idea that there it used to be a thing of status that you were you'd succeeded enough so that you could retire at this age, mm-hmm. right? At 60, or but if you're really successful, you can retire at 55 right. or 50, right? Right. And now nobody retires, and we, we, we lionize these ancient men that are like still making a billion dollars. And you think about, dude, have some fucking fun with your life. Dude, you've got a billion dollars. Why do you need to make more, Sumner Redstone? You know, it's like he's. To make more money, crush someone today. I'm only forty percent machine. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that, but it's, but it's that idea of like, how do you have fun? And I think it's so like, there's just this weirdly romantic idea that we have to work ourselves to into the grave, into death, into yeah. death. Yeah. And so a lot of people, if you say like, well, just retire and take time. Like I remember when my dad semi-retired he's still out of business but he's spending a lot of time in florida which is where you go mm-hmm. and um and after a while he fucking hated it because i think people need a purpose and it's like when you know a purpose which is like go to work every day do this you know it can be really hard to go well i'm gonna like people i think some people are afraid they're gonna die if they stop moving well interesting because we're not they're not really they're not really guided towards a purpose without making money that's right that's the sad that's right and and it's the same in show business by the way you know if you're if you're in a successful movie that wins oscars you're not whole until you do that again right and the truth is you got to be pretty damn charmed <laughs> to be in something that not only has the heat and the support but also the quality to be in that kind of realm of award-winning movie. Right. And if you can do that once in your life, that's pretty damn good. Right. But the, the, the drive to have to do it every year right. or the drive to have to continue to be at that level of success will drive you crazy. I can attest to it personally. Did you feel it, that way? I, I've always felt the pressure to continue, right? Until I just settled back and said, you know what? I love it here. I love it at the actor's game. I love that I can work when I want to work in show business, but I also have a place that I can do what I really love mm-hmm. uh, that I, and I can maintain the quality of what we're doing. And if, if we can maintain the truth, that is at the essence, right? The truth is like, if you're doing bullshit for millions of people and making a ton of money, you're, how are you participating in the cultural conversation? If you are telling the truth to a thousand people, that's something that will endure. People will remember it. It will affect people. People will do things differently because they saw the truth. Right, 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 right. There's an analogous... Oh, you go ahead. You're about to say something. Well, but if you if you reach uh, a million people with total bullshit and a bunch of explosions and a formula mm-hmm. of uh, retributive violence, <laughs> what are you doing? Is that you're you're more successful than the person that plays for a thousand people? You're on more magazine covers, right? But how, are you whole? Is this making you whole? Have know. you contributed to the culture? I mean, unless you can look at that stuff and go, "Well, that's sort of like The Bachelor." It's like it's people blowing off steam because obviously you can't. 
even as an audience member, there are some shows like, no, I haven't seen The Wire yet and I want to. <laughs> but every time I sit down to watch it, I just feel the pressure of, God, I'm really tired and I know I'm going to fucking really have to be <laughs> absorbed in this. And so I just haven't watched. I'm afraid <laughs> to watch it because I know how much engagement. Now, that experience is probably going to be, you know, like if you watch Breaking Bad, of course that's a million times better than watching some silly show mm. about magic. But the fun, mm. silly show about magic, I don't have to think about. And so where does that factor in? Like, is that, does as that contribute? As you know that's what you're doing. Then it's on. Then it's fine. Okay. But if you think you're making art. Right. And and you're and you're and you're now creating new categories for Academy Awards, right? To 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 make room for that, right? Then it's fraudulent, in my opinion. But if you know what you're doing, and I I don't bear any ill will to anybody making a living in show business. Sure. God bless you, and it's so rare and so fantastic that you can. But when you actually have a choice, is what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. Yeah, is when you when you've reached a certain level of success, and you continue to 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 go into a formula. Just to be present yeah. or relevant, then I feel it's just corrupting. Well, that's I, I, ego. That's ego yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's keeping the ego going because it's, you know, what I would say to anybody is like, if your goals are always bigger, better, bigger, always bigger, better, and I'm certainly someone who had fallen into this in the past too, you don't, um, the cautionary tale is it's never fillable. Because no matter what level you get to, it's like sort of like what you were saying, like, well, I won one Oscar, but I've got to fucking win another one. Right. Or I'm not, I don't exist. Exactly. And that's really fucking it's crazy. It's that's crazy. That's really dangerous. Because at a certain point, there you can't, like, you can't fucking take over the world. Like, there's nowhere to go. Like, it has a limit. It's hard because you're surrounded by it in this town. Yeah. And one of the great benefits that we have is we're able to get out of this town and travel with some of these plays. Mm-hmm. Both mm-hmm. Bob and Will would have traveled all around the world with uh, uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, 1984. Harlequino. Harlequino. I think this is something that we learned big time with Midsummer Night's Dream, this idea of it doesn't always have to get bigger and, and you know more expensive. We did Midsummer Night's Dream with... Nothing. With really. a bunch of sticks and twigs from Tim's backyard <laughs> and, and some flowers... And basically just like neutral costumes. Yeah. And we yeah. toured that thing around the world and people would come up to us afterwards and be like that, that I feel changed. Like the, there was one guy in China was like, when does this feeling stop? Like I, when do I stop feeling like this, like this good? We're like, ah, yeah, I think sure. too, you know, no disrespect to the spectacle aspect. I mean, the things that Cirque du Soleil does, I think are just incredible. It's so fascinating what they can do with, with, you know, the support and the money that they have and that kind of stuff. But I think what we try to do or, you know, is, is with less, we create the opportunity for an audience to really kind of use their imagination, project onto an empty stage, what they see, you know, if I hold a cup, that could be any color and the audience says, Oh, it's a blue cup. It's a red cup, whatever. It doesn't matter. But if we give them everything, then they don't have to, you know, I think that it brings the audience in more to, sure. to have to use their imagination, to experience the play and to project kind of what's inside out there. This is funny. In this particular play, we have, we have like the most set we've had in a long time, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. We have props and things to play with. It's wild. Uh, but yeah, yeah. But going out into the world and, and being, you know, in, in a, for a Roman amphitheater in Lyon, France, playing the Summer Night's Dream under a full moon to oh, a few yeah. thousand people. It's and then to, to to feel that reaction in that ancient place was 
That was pretty damn it's cool. Incredible. Yeah, we, we actually felt the reaction because they didn't tell us that in Lyon, France, if they love the show, they, they take their seat cushions <laughs> and throw them at you <laughs> during the standing ovation. So just out of the darkness, there are all these like cushions flying at us. <laughs> Did we fail? Did yeah. we succeed? Yeah. What is, what is happening? What's going on? <laughs> there we are communicating across language barriers. In a, in a place that does not speak English, but we're doing Shakespeare. Right. And it's profoundly moving them in, in, a, in a, a real significant way. Right. To the point where you run into people a couple of years later and they go, oh my God, that night is still with me. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing I, I think that really good songwriters and singers get, you know, that ability to transform an audience, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, that magic that, that can be created in the live event. Yeah, well, go ahead, Bob. This is a great uh, realization, too, is that across all humanity and all the countries we've toured to, the responses are the same. People, you know, people respond to the same comedy. They respond to the same tragedy in the same ways. It's a great equalizer, which I think is a great realization to have. Well, Uh, it's all about just, I think it's just people want authentic communal experiences. Right. And they know whether it's a song or a play or stand up or whatever it is. They know when something is authentic and they generally know when they're being lied to or someone doesn't mm-hmm. care about the thing. You know, like there's there really is some kind of electromagnetic thing that happens mm-hmm. and they and they lock in on it. And I think being able to, you know, using as many few distractions as possible to mm-hmm. present that idea, whether it's just sticks that you found in a backyard or whatever it is, and you're still able to present that authentic thing. I mean, that's. You know, I mean, it's not magic, but it probably does feel like a bit of a magic trick because people are like, how did I get, how do I all of a sudden find myself sucked into this thing so much? So Kylie uh, was telling me that uh, when when she brought her daughters, uh, I think uh, when it was like 11 or 9 when she first saw Midsummer Night's Dream, she said, um, or maybe it was... uh, well, I, I, anyway, I, 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 the kid, she brought, was it, it was, it was her other kid, anyway. Una or Alma? It was Alma. Ah. And Alma said to her, Mom, the set of Midsummer Night's Dream was amazing. <laughs> and she, she goes, there was no set. There was no, we had no set. But somehow in that kid's memory, that because of the yeah. fact that it was constantly... Oh, it painted in all of it. Her, oh, wow. She, she used her imagination to create this amazing set that she remembered. The forest. You know? yeah. Yeah. She saw a huge forest. Yeah. But it was, Just, it was 12 of us with sticks, sticks and flowers. And yeah. Oh, my God. That sounds like so much fun. That sounds like fun. I mean, it just sounds... And again, people can tell when you care about what you're doing. And even if they don't exactly identify exactly, I think that what they identify with is watching someone be passionate about something is fun. It's fun to watch. Totally. And, and so how do you, when you're kind of approaching something, how are you, how, how are you kind of finding the center of it for yourself? If you don't immediately connect with it, is there a way that you're able to force yourself to be like, I have to lock in on oh, this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially here, we just, you know, we pick an emotional state, happy, sad, afraid, or angry about whatever thing we're dealing with and approach from that, from that point of view. So it's not about backstory and about, you know, where am I coming from? All those questions that actors, you know, ask themselves. It's about like, okay, I'm going to make a choice to be, you know, angry or happy, generally happy about this and then start from that place. And then that's a great jumping off point for any, you know, any, any scene or any piece of, you know, theater that we're creating. And we always find that those, you know, those four signposts, happy, sad, afraid, or angry, the emotional states, uh, give us just about everything we need to unlock these different pieces of theater. 
It's a huge liberation as a director, too, because you, your job is to make sure they're in one of the emotions and there's urgency and importance to what they're doing. But that's it. You're, you're not having these long psychological discussions about what your choices could be as an actor, which I've been in that kind of situation. It's really mind-numbingly boring <laughs> to, to be in those conversations. Yeah. And if the writing's good, then you can choose any one of those four states, and generally on any line it works. But we also try and have an underlying sense of joy in all of those emotional states of just being mm-hmm. lucky enough to be on stage and playing. Yeah. You know, like we yeah. don't ever want to watch an actor up there just being tortured. Then it's not it, it's not fun for us. But even if you're playing the most tragic sadness on stage, if we still see that the actor is loving this moment, then it's still... And is involving the audience in that right. moment too, which is a difficult thing. Sure. It's something that we do here from the first day of training the idea that this is a live event and what you need for theater is an actor and an audience Mm -hmm. and too often theater ignores the fact that the audience is there right it's almost like you're privileged to be watching this as opposed to being a part of it exactly and so we were talking in the summer uh, we did an intensive we were talking about what is that what is that conversation that you're having with the audience that doesn't involve words. It involves how what you, well, the energy that you're bringing, but also the concept of how is my audience, this specific audience, this specific group of 100 people that we're ta- playing to tonight, what, how are they writing this play? Right. How are they participating in the way the play should be performed tonight? Right, Because we want to get rid of that idea of actors coming off stage and saying, that audience sucked. <laughs> yeah, Friday right? night, you know. Yeah. Because it, yeah. it's never true. Occasionally I, it's true. Sometimes we've gotten <laughs> off stage and said, listen, if you guys ever get a chance to be a group together again, don't. Most of the time, <laughs> you're, it's my You're fault. talking about alcohol being involved. That's exactly yeah, that's, right. Yeah, and, Both and, at a bachelorette yeah, party yeah, with yeah, dick straws yeah, and, yeah. you know, dickheads. No, it's, that's a tough road. That, that is it's, a tough road. Yeah. The co- comedian thing is different. It's it's because you have just people that are just out and out, should not be in an audience. No, but, but it's sort of what you said about, like, how this little girl, like, painted in. It's... You know, the audience, and I think a lot of audiences forget that they have a little bit of a responsibility, which is to be invested. And if they're open and they're invested, then they bring their part to it. And that, I mean, I think the term community theater is a lot of times sort of used as a punchline. You could do community theater. But to me, it's the difference between like a presentational Broadway show Mm -hmm. and an actual community Mm -hmm. where the audience is part of the community of the performance as well. And that makes it, it's just, it's just such a great experience. It's different than the spectacle and the spectacle is fun, but you're really making something unique every time the chemistry of getting that many people together at once to share an experience is not something it's so easy to not leave your house anymore. <laughs> yeah, and, so, and every audience is going to be different. Right. Absolutely, that's the cool thing about it is that you have to meet that audience in right. that chemistry. Yeah. And every every single person and every audience came to the theater for a reason. People don't just find themselves at the theater. They they obviously there's something that they want or need. They might not even know it themselves. I think it's our job to. Uh, be aware of that and to try to find out what that is, what each audience needs and to, and to give that to them. Yeah. But also I think if someone is going to go, you know, um, on a, on a Saturday night to Culver city to accidental right. death and any crisis, like they're probably somewhat invested coming in because you, I would imagine that 
I mean, do people like just stumble into Actors Gang and be like, "Oh, I didn't know what I was coming to see." Some people do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But we we talk about this too in the training is that they never take an audience for granted. Mm-hmm. They always assume that everyone in the audience paid their last buck to be mm-hmm. here. Yeah, mm-hmm. took two buses, you know, yeah. walked four miles with no shoes on, just to be <laughs> just just, to, be just here. to get in there, they, which. Which is how you used to have to get to Culver City. It's a lot different now. This is a very local joke for people who don't know, but you have no idea. Like Culver City is now this insane foodie hipster furniture bubble. Yeah, but it really did. It really was not um, not not a. eh. There were two restaurants when we moved in twelve years ago. So we'd like to take oh credit gosh. for it. <laughs> yeah, the Actors Gang created Culver City. It was real. Di- it was real dicey here at night. You know, yeah, it, it was one time in Culver City. It was, and yeah. uh, you know, it was a little, little kind of Lost Boys after like two a.m. You still know what should have bought a house. Like you should have. Well, yeah. years ago. Oh my god! There's so many places around LA where you're like, I had no fucking idea this neighborhood <laughs> yeah. was going to be the epicenter of hipster tennis shoes. I fucking <laughs> yeah. didn't know. Mm-hmm. We just mm-hmm. didn't know. Well, one of the look- things our audiences talk about is how warm it is here too, as well. You know, just how welcoming the people that work here are, and you know how nice it is to not only see a show but to hang out afterwards. And- with the actors. Your theater is stunning, too. It just is such a great... It's it's the perfect amount of really nice, but not uh, but not gaudy or obnoxious. Like, it doesn't get in the way. Like, there are some places you go, either comedy clubs or theaters, where they're so... It's When they're, like, too ornate, it's a little bit, like... Yeah. Can you just disappear a little bit? You <laughs> yeah. know, like... I'm yeah. suspicious of any place that's a little too, too fancy because right. it feels like... I'm being tricked and there should be something that kind of feels like I, you know, like I had to give a password to get into this door and that's a little speakeasy feel to it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's also this 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 building itself is a former power you know generating station for a, a trolley line. So there's you know, Will, this is something Will said before is that the, the energy is literally it's in the bricks of the building. It was built for that you know and I think we can feel that on stage too and in our audiences it's fun. There's like an electricity here literally. There's literally yeah. the the ghosts of old electricity. Yeah, yeah. and literal ghosts and literal yeah. ghosts. Yeah. yeah, is it the culprit? This is another reason why people if they come to see the play. There are a million really great. It's like there's tons of parking when they come to see the when play. they come yeah, to see yeah. the play. And I know, I know, it's like I'm not trying to oversell it in that way, but again, it's so hard now, especially for film too. It's like when you make a film now. Remember how it used to be if you made a film and it went like straight to cable? There was a little bit of a like, ah. And now it's like fine because that's where people are. Mm-hmm. To anything that actually gets people to put on pants and leave their house yeah. mm-hmm. is a fucking huge deal. Yeah, a yeah. very big deal. Yeah, and I think the people, when they assemble, know that. Right. The, every single one of them knows that. And so they, it's kind of like, wow, we all decided to be in this club tonight. Right. And all right, let, and let's go there together. Right. I think there's, when every audience, that's why I said there are no bad audiences in, in, this, in this theater, mm-hmm. is because they've made that choice, they, and they are here, and they're there for you to entertain them. They want to be entertained. Yeah. And that's what a privilege that is. You know, what a great gift that is for an actor to be able to have the those willing participants in the joy that you're trying to express. Yeah. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. And do you get to the end of a run 
especially as a director, any all of you who've directed, and then go, ah, oh, fuck, I think I just figured it out. Like, where you? <laughs> God damn, can we just do one more month? Yeah. Well, we we often will do a run of a show and we'll put it away for six months, eight months, a year, then come back to it. And it's always really interesting seeing how it's grown in everybody and how the world has changed, and then like how the piece itself has marinated. And how it's changed and grown into something totally different. Yeah. We, we barrel age our theater. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It starts as a sweet wine and yeah, ends yeah. up as a, a whiskey. It's a uh, barrel age craft theater yeah. we do here. Yeah, it's uh, some guy with a Culver huge City. hipster beard and like hip boots comes in and pokes yeah. a hole in it and sniffs it. Yep. He's not yeah. ready yeah. yet. And Chris, just so you know, all of our theater is in 3D. It is in 3D. <laughs> Full 3D. Really? Yeah. 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 And no 3D glasses. No glasses it's just like automatically in 3D. It's highly technological. Yeah. Very technological. What was your when you first came to the uh, for both of you when you first came to to Actors Gang? What was your goal? Was it just like I just want to be in plays or I want to meet Tim or I want to just I don't know like what what did you expect and then what what have you become in those eight years? Uh, I I first my first show was in my mom's womb. <laughs> I, my parents came to see the first production of Ubu the King that the Actors Gang put on in. 1983. I didn't know that. That's two. awesome. 1982. Yeah. That's why I was still wasn't born yet. Uh, <laughs> oh man. So uh, I, for me, it's there was this serendipitous, lots of things pointing me to this place, and I just kind of listened to all those people that kept saying, "Hey, you know about the gang? Do you know about the gang?" And when I showed up here, I was like, "Ah, oh, this is the thing that I've been looking for for a long time," which was the that tribe. Like mm-hmm. I'd been, I'd just been kind of wandering around like a solo weirdo waiting for the phone to ring and then when I got here I was like oh there's a bunch of other people who don't fit in anywhere else perfect <laughs> yeah I was uh, I actually came from Chicago so I was living in Chicago doing a lot of theater and then I moved out to LA and I was like I'm done with theater and then uh, you know I'm here to make movies and then of course I came to see a show here called Break the Whip that Tim directed and I was like oh man I want in I want in and that was uh, almost 10 years ago so uh, yeah ever since then I've been here <laughs> It's just, yeah, just the sense of ensemble, community. It doesn't feel like a, a theater company, uh, for me at least, at the time when I first got here. It didn't feel like a theater company that I would find in Los Angeles. And uh, immediately just got drawn in and have been here ever since. And it's been amazing. It's Like Tim said earlier, it's so great to to work in that whole show business scene in Los Angeles and then to be able to come back here to this kind of oasis where that is all left outside and we can kind of explode off into a whole different universe. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I feel work. I feel like I talk about this way too much, but maybe you know, who knows? If people, if, if if they pay attention, then 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 great. But it was something that you said earlier kind of struck me as being that idea of trying to attain happiness, trying to do bigger. You think that's going to make you happier, as opposed to just being. Oh, I can just come here and do plays when I want and go work when I feel like it. I, I, I or the idea of retirement, like I'm not going to be able to be happy until a certain point in the future, and versus like. Oh, I guess I could just make choices now, you know, because if you do, if you are running towards something, it's very likely you're actually running away from something, you know? And so it, like the harder you go at something, you might get it, but then you get it and it's a moment and then that's, and then you're not, it's not going to satisfy you. And then you're really going to be fucked up. And that's, I'm sure why so many people in the business, so many people that we know or have encountered are a mess. <laughs> Angry as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm talking about successful people yeah. with anger in their heart. You know, yeah. it's like, what, dude? You know, come on. Yeah, just 
can you just acknowledge that you've done some great things in your life and right. that's good enough? Yeah. You know, that's, it's, it's okay. It's right. okay to be happy about what you've done. Hmm. I mean, I don't know how you express that to young actors to say like, there's this thing and it's called your ego and it's going to pull <laughs> you in a lot of directions and it's like your goal as you become an older person and a wiser person is to figure out which decisions are ego decisions and which decisions are good decisions, you know, like what's trying to do something versus being like just being, which yeah. is a very hard thing to, to do. Like, how do we sit with ourselves when our brains probably spin a million miles an hour and we're mad at politics and we're mad at the world and we don't get what we want, you know, yeah. for you, is it. Do you kind of deal with that by, well, I'm going to direct plays, I'm going to be, be I'm going to, you know, is that part well, of your expression process? It, well, it's difficult because it's more complicated than that because I'm also running the organization as well. So there's actual practical decisions that have to be made. I process it, all the pressure and the, and the challenges in a much different way now than I used to. Uh, I was, uh, you know, a very, um, I could be. In the past, you know, I would have reacted more confrontationally to uh, um, things, obstacles that got in the way. But I become more zen about it and understand that people will do what they do. Right. And the decisions they make will, I, I can disagree with them, but they're going to make those kinds of decisions anyway. Right. So I, I have to kind of let things fall when I, you can't hold up something that's collapsing. Right. And so sometimes it's better just to let it fall and rebuild. Right. Rather than trying to piece it back together. Uh, and I'm kind of talking in metaphor right now. <laughs> because there's, you know, legal problems when sure. you start being specific about sure. some of this stuff. Sure. But um, it's challenging, but I've come to understand that uh, the best way forward is to allow everyone to. Um, in a way, make their mistakes, allow failure, mm -hmm. and allow growth and forgiveness. And uh, one of the things that we've been very good at, I think, here in the last few years is being able to weed out people that um, have more self-interest than uh, a concern for ensemble. Mm -hmm. And um, we do it from the very first, I'm not going to tell you the trick because we're, you know, but we've, we figured out ways to tell who the potential divas are and, and who the potential assholes are. And we try to weed them out pretty early to bring it back to the bachelor. It's sort of like, <laughs> it's sort of like being here for the wrong reasons, yeah. which is brought yeah. up a lot. You know, yeah. we're really here for Colton. That's right. You know, yeah. you're, you're here to get that rose. Yeah. And those I, other ones are just... Uh, I want to get married. Yeah, yeah we're here to... Will yeah. and I are here to find love. We are yeah. definitely here for the right reasons. And, um, yeah. I think well, that, that's part of it, too, though. <laughs> There's, that's another part. There's people that come in just to look for girlfriends or boyfriends, you know? And that's that's... That's not going to be, that's not going to last. I think the easiest way to tell, like, who's here for the wrong reason is put a selfie wall in the lobby and then check your Instagram feeds and whoever is posting the most in the selfie wall, like, you got to go. Right. Yeah. You're, you're done. yeah, we're not a theater that has, like, everybody's headshots up in the lobby. Like, if, if people started coming in and putting their headshots up, I think that would be a strange. But that's, but, and, and, but that's essentially what we are conditioned to do as a culture. Mm -hmm. 
you know, social media is just like, I'm the star, you know, <laughs> like, I, it's me, it's a selfie, it's myself, you know, as opposed to um, prioritizing or rewarding, like, being, and again, not like giving into a group when it goes against what you believe in, but working with people, like working as a community, working with, you know, give and take. I don't always agree, but that doesn't make you my enemy, you know, mm-hmm. like being able to, to, to learn how to work together is, is, I don't know. It's I'm. I... When we do when we work in prison, that's one of the things we say to them. Listen, you can not like each other out on the yard, but in here, the only way we're going to achieve anything is if we do it together. Yeah. So you have to have each other's backs on the stage. Right. Do what you like outside of it, but here, we have to work together, and it works. I mean, that people do it yeah. because they they see what the result of teamwork is. They see how it changes the nature of the work and the, and the nature of the discovery. Mm-hmm. And so the same thing here, you know, we, in order to do the crazy shit that we're doing on stage, which oftentimes is very physical and very mm-hmm. fast, mm-hmm. you have to have trust or people get hurt. You know, you have to have everyone looking out for each other, yeah. caring for each other, protecting each other. And it's the same thing with emotions. You know, if you're going to go to deep emotions, you want to know you're surrounded by people that have your back. Yeah. You know? And do you guys find that you, does, does, does the group hang out outside the theater or is it like we spend so much time in the theater, everyone kind of have a, has our separate lives or is, it, is there a community outside the theater as well? I think it's a mix. I think there's some of us that have really strong relationships outside. Like Will and I are great friends outside of the theater. Um, but there are other people in the company that I, I'll say I only see here. And that's fine too because we, we have a working relationship. And yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, we, we try and have our shared experiences here and there. Like I took the whole cast paintballing mm-hmm. <laughs> as just a sort of a, a way for them to get into the mindset of all these <laughs> cops and have them shoot at each other mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, for the most part, uh, we spend a lot of time together here. We see each other a lot here. So sometimes it is like, I really just need to spend some time with my family and my girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. like, I don't want to see Bob for two days and that's right. fine. <laughs> Wait, what? Uh, yeah. Well, why, why did you use me as an example? Well, it's just, it's a, you know, it's a common, it doesn't matter, don't worry about it. It's no, a, let's work this out right now. Well, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Not, it, it's just be funny, it's like, oh no, it's fine, it's fine. And then, you know, like during rehearsal going to people, did you say something about <laughs> I'm just, I'm just trying to find out why I would have gotten used in it. I mean, it was a joke. We're all friends here, right? Well, comedy has seeds of truth, and so I was just kind of concerned. <laughs> yeah. Well, we should talk about the play a little bit so people know what they're, what they're coming to see, Accidental Death of an Antichrist. Uh, Anarchist. Anarchist. Evan Antichrist. Antichrist. Christ, accidental death. Oh, the, the Antichrist the, died. Oh, 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 he the, was a bad Antichrist. That's the, that's the sequel. <laughs> accidental death of an Antichrist is my new band name, by the way. So accidental I'm going to steal that. Death of an Antichrist. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. It's I, just, was, I am an Antichrist. I am, I am the right. Antichrist. Oh, the Antichrist accidentally drank the holy water. Oh. It was totally accidental. <laughs> I left it in the fridge next to the regular <laughs> filtered water. Spoiler. Fuck. You're spoiling right. the show. Don't tell them. Another blood moon. We'll we'll have another one. Uh, but next, an anarchist. Um, what, what is? Can you t- just kind of describe it without spoiling anything? Like, what's what's your kind of pitch? To, your nickel pitch for people? Um, so it's it's a bit of a true crime satire. Is what I, everybody's so obsessed with true crime right now. I'm trying to tie it into that. I'm one of them. Yes. So uh, it's a, a true crime satire about uh, corrupt police and the judicial system. It's based on real events that happened in Italy in 1969, 1970, 
where there was a man who was arrested as a suspect for a, a bombing of a bank. And then while in police custody, he accidentally died. Mm-hmm. He got so overwhelmed that he threw himself out the window. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. So as, as can happen. <laughs> and then always. The, always. The, yeah. Uh, the, the, the cover up that happened afterwards and, and all the stories that the police spun is what Dario Fo wrote the show about. But it's essentially about this, this madman, this maniac who infiltrates the police station, plays a series of different characters to expose their, their lies and their hypocrisy. Great. And Bob, who are you in the play? I'm the maniac. <laughs> You're the guy. You're the guy that infiltrates. Yeah, I do the whole thing like this. It's very bad. <laughs> all, all the, there's five characters. They all talk like this. <laughs> you have to do the gravelly Batman voice. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's always a, Michael Keaton. Yeah. It's yeah, always it's in close-up, too. You know, I'm a different guy. I'm camera on him at all times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. back row doesn't hear anything. No. <laughs> Is he saying something? I don't, I don't know. know. It's just, uh, What's he right. saying? Um, <laughs> oh, what? It's yeah. like afternoon dinner theater. In yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who's the maniac? Yeah. What does that mean? I was yeah. promised an antichrist. <laughs> right. When is he going to die accidentally? This is in a band. My sister. I don't like the fruit cup. Sir, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> please, we're having a. <laughs> yeah. You're not watching yeah. Netflix at home. I paid for this. <laughs> <laughs> this is theater. Uh, this, is, this is why we don't do matinees. This movie yeah. talk backs a lot. No, it's not. Uh, you're not <laughs> in your living people. room. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I play the maniac, and it's pretty much just like that. What we just said. Yeah. <laughs> in a nutshell no but it's fun it because yeah. Bob gets to do five characters yeah I play five different characters which is really exciting and as big... one character though yeah it's one character presenting five different right. characters so people. it's funny yeah. because there's multiple layers of, of of character in there it's very confusing and really fun and exciting and it's, it's, it's like I mean it's the role of a lifetime so I mean I'm very very excited to share this play with as many people as possible because I'm having a blast doing it and the, the audiences really love it so it's, it's really really fun yeah and is this, I think this first run ends March 9th. That's right. correct. So is this a play that you'll put away for a while and then put up again at some point? or? Well, officially we should say that you have to see it before March. You have to see it before March 9th. Mm-hmm. You never know. We you never do it again. Do it again. We would never. never. This was the last mm-hmm. time. This is the one shot you got. Yeah, and they're going to take all the copies of the play and just throw them in the ocean, which I know is not ecologically sound, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, it will not yeah. exist anymore. Yeah, it will not <laughs> exist once this is done. Wink, wink. What? <laughs> what? But uh, yeah, see it now. Yeah. yeah. Are you? You're not. You don't make an appearance in it. Did you make an appearance in it? No. No. Well, I I, I come to the he, show. You come to all the shows. He plays the Antichrist. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, look, they should have marked the whole water. I am fucking. I yeah. don't know. When the play's over, I come out in my Antichrist costume. <laughs> but don't reference and, it. And then I suck the souls out of each audience member. <laughs> Makes him strong. Very, very tiring, by the way, to suck, you know, souls out of people. You know, I can't wait to, like, the next time I go to the movie theater and they do those, like, movie trivia. Did you know actor Tim Robbins is 1,200 years old? He's been living off the souls of the living. Wow, that's great. Come to Culver City. I need more souls. (laughs) That's That's why New Colossus was so fun, because you came out at the end. And you talk to the audience, yeah. and it felt very much like it, it was very much like we were in a big living room, you know. And it's like you ask the audience, like, what, "Where did your ancestors come from? When did they come over?" And they, and it was, you know, it, it was a conversation. There was conversation, and I think that's also the big part of it too that makes it uh, like you're part of this community because people are conversing, and it's not just a monologue 
that is that the audience just gets hit in the face with. Yeah, yeah. We try to encourage our actors also at the end of the shows, regardless of what show we're doing, uh, to to hang out at the, in the in the lobby as the audience is leaving and just to say hi. Yeah, you know, to, to get some feedback, but also just to thank them for coming. All the theater that we do inspires dialogue in one way or another. So that's a crucial part of our process here is to then connect with the audience one-on-one. Not just to say, oh, great show, great show, but to really like talk to people about what they thought, what it brought up for them, and how they feel. So we we do formal talkbacks at the theater, but we kind of look at every show as an opportunity to have one-on-one talkbacks with the audience, which is... Well, has anyone ever said anything like, you know, you live with this show mm. you, you know you've rehearsed it you do it mm-hmm. it's in your molecules now mm-hmm. you probably think about it when you're sleep trying to sleep definitely when people watch it have you ever been surprised by something someone said where you're like oh i didn't oh my god i hadn't thought of it that way sort of in in the conversation process absolutely i mean all the time with uh, fellow company members with audience members everybody likes to express their opinion for sure which <laughs> i actually enjoy i enjoy some of them i agree with some i don't agree with but there have definitely been times where i've heard something in a conversation with an audience member when I've been like, oh, I didn't really think about that. That's interesting. And it has affected performance and, and uh, or my understanding of a role or, or what I'm doing. We, we have a, a regular who's who comes to every show. His name's Clifford. Mm-hmm. And he's an older gentleman. He lives out in like Altadena, and he, but he takes the bus here a lot. And, but he comes to everything. And f- there was one show we were doing, Harlequino, that every night he would come up to me and give me the same note. <laughs> <laughs> Where there was this one part where I was doing a Lotsi with like a, a, a stick and he, he would always come up and he'd be like, Will, it's a 20 pound stick. <laughs> you have to give the stick more weight. <laughs> and I'd be like, I know, Clifford, but this whole, okay, I'll just, I'll do it for you one night. <laughs> it kind of works. Sometimes he's got some great insight. Yeah. But he's also always offering us like, he's like, trip to fan. The government doesn't want you to know sure, about sure. tryptophan. Yes, it's a, and he's as, he's as lucid sounding yeah. All right. as he was about the stick. Right. It's like, which one what do you... I... But you know that guy just like went home and to someone, his significant other or a cat, he won't carry the fucking stick. <laughs> like, how many he's picking up sticks like, this is heavy. He, he, bought, he brought a palm frond over one time. He was like, look at me, watch me do it. <laughs> I was like, hey. <laughs> As a burlesque dance, it sounds yeah. like a burlesque act. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> let me tantalize you a little bit while I show you how weight works. Yeah, he started taking his clothes off, which got weird. <laughs> I mean, it's nice that you have that you have regulars that come. Do people can people subscribe to the theater? Like they can pay for like the full season. And yeah. Just oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, We have our subscribers. That yeah, come to every show. Yeah, and they, have, they get the first dibs on uh, on special events. Cool. Like we uh, had a couple nights with Jackson Brown in, oh my God. in December, and it was beautiful. Yeah. It's so nice. Uh, those nights are so cool because, first of all, the space with, with the, brook, the brick and the wood, the sound is really great in, yeah. inside the theater. But also, it's just so intimate and personal. Yeah. And it's so rare to be able to like, see someone like Jackson Brown. Yeah, and there's not a bad seat. Like it's yeah. not like it's it's rate. It's so that that um, rate like rate, rate, mm-hmm. rate mm-hmm. and it uh, and so and you can see everything from everywhere. And the theater is like cubic, so it uh, you know I would encourage people to come. 
you know, if for whatever reason you can't make it before March 9th, I would encourage people to at least try to come see a show here because it's a really great. And there's not, I know there's theater in Los Angeles, but I don't really think of LA as like a necessarily a theater town, even though I know there is theater here, mm-hmm. but it doesn't, you know, um, uh, I don't think it's something that most people would think, I'm going to go do this tonight. Mm-hmm. But it does exist. <laughs> yeah. We, and we do get a lot of audience members. Like, since we've traveled, what I've noticed about L.A. audiences is a lot of them come in arms crossed. Oh, yeah. yeah impress yeah. me. Yes. Kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. Whereas yes. everywhere else we go, people are just open on the ends of their seat. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. Yeah, everyone is just, uh, you know. I, I do like L.A. I think L.A. has a little bit of, like, L.A. is sort of in a, is... Un- unknowingly in a one-sided war with every other major city. Mm-hmm. Any other major city you go to, you go, like, I, go live, I live in L.A. Oh, God, what's that like? Well, it's fine. It's like any city. <laughs> Shitty parts, there's good parts. Yeah. But there is a lot of... <clears throat> there is a lot of posturing here, in particular, especially because of the entertainment business. So there's a... It's not always the best example of what it's like to perform in most places mm-hmm. here. But once... I think you can kind of break that wall down, then it yeah. actually is okay. It's a it's a great challenge that is makes it even more rewarding when right. you have audiences that aren't necessarily uh, huge theater-going audiences, and then to get them to say, like, oh, yeah, I have a really genuine experience, I think makes it even more rewarding when, when they do kind of, like you said, break that wall down. Yeah, right. it's, it's, it's an improv town, too, you know, ever since UCB, Groundlings, all right, those right. places popped up. All the younger audiences got accustomed to the $5 show, hour-long Bring the Tinder date, get in, get out, go to dinner, drop her off, or stay for a nightcap. I don't sure. know. <laughs> but so for them to actually come and see a full-length play, it's it's a, sort of a different experience for a lot of audience members. This is why we start every political satire with a suggestion from the audience of a non-geographical <laughs> location. I need a location. I heard Italy. Yes. <laughs> oh, Taco Bell, thank you. Oh, great. Um, All right. Let's go. I'm giving birth to a hippopotamus <laughs> at a Taco Bell. All right, great. Thank you. Uh, but I also think that you know, you're having to break that wall of people who come in with, and it's not like the people who really uh, do stuff. It's it's never like breaking through to them. It's always the guy who's like, I'm an assistant to an agent who's got a deal at Netflix for a show that might never air. You know, it's like <laughs> yep. they, there's just so much of that. Yeah, and I want comps. And I want comps. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't. I, I would. I I love yeah. paying for. I love paying for theater, and I love paying for like art. I love to buy art from just like small artists that I that I find. And if they're like, "Oh, I want to give you a discount," I'm like, "I don't want to. I want to support." Yeah. Like it feels good. It feels good to support it. And I do think that that comp mentality is uh, is fucking bullshit because <laughs> it's, it's like this isn't a fucking screening. Yeah. Like this, like people's livelihoods are centered here like support them if you're gonna come see the thing that's yeah, okay that's well I, we also like we offer theater for everybody too there's no pretense so you know on Thursdays we do pay what you can performances so that's there's your opportunity right there yeah yeah we always uh, make theater affordable for everybody that's great mm-hmm. so yeah from the for, throughout our history we've had Thursday nights be pay what you can so as we're winding this down I, I just want some wisdom Tim I just want some wisdom for like get because you said you've kind of had this transformation where things that would have pissed you off 25 years ago don't piss you like you've changed first of all what's an example of something that would have pissed you off 25 years ago like what's a fun example of a dumb thing that 25 years ago you would have gotten mad at that now you're like it just doesn't fucking matter well you know it's mostly in the way it's kind of in these waves it's like every seven years there's these like shifts like tectonic shifts that have to happen in your life yeah 
It, it's, it, it, I, I know that one of the ways it manifests is in relationships. That's pretty common that people know that there's like a seven-year cycle of right. things. But it's also in other things in life as well. And so I, I guess if it's 7, 14, 28, 35, whatever, if, if it's following seven years, I guess I've gotten better in the last two seven-year shifts. <laughs> okay. You know, just in that knowing that it's it's that the conflict lies in the resistance to it happening mm-hmm. and, and the, the, whatever, uh, if you can evolve to the point where you know, it's happening for a reason and it's not personal and it just needs to happen. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, it's a shift in, it's, it is a tectonic shift. The, the ground does have to readjust or things are going to get even worse. Right. And so, it's giving into that is, is giving the power over to that. Right. That it's not about anything you did wrong or decisions you made, but it's just in the nature of the beast. Right. So it's personnel changes. It's stuff like that. You know, it's, uh, it's having people being duplicitous behind your back and, and not letting it drive you crazy. Right. 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 It's, it's knowing that there, that, Certain people are like that. It's almost like I've come to understand that there are stock characters in life. There are the people that really love you, that uh, have your back, that uh, you can trust in the most difficult circumstances. Then there are friends and associates that might not have your best interests at at hand. And then there are out-and-out fucking frauds. (laughs) Right. Who pretend to be something to you, right? For to curry favor, for for connections, whatever. And it's I guess the shift that I've gone through is being able to recognize that there are those stock characters in life, and there's certain kinds of people that come through here or come through uh, movie sets or come through various social situations I'm put in, and. They're just that person. It's, oh, that reminds me of that other person, you know? It's you get older and you realize, uh, yeah, there's no, I don't have any control over any of that, you know? Yeah. There are those kinds of people in this world and they do those kinds of things that are really awful. Right. And they will always be there. And there's nothing you can do to make them not do that. You can't control that. That's right. And so you allow it to play out. And sometimes you have to suggest that it play out faster, mm-hmm. and that is not fun. It's but it's one of my responsibilities as someone that runs an organization. But then, how do you <clears throat> how do you learn to get how do you learn to get your ego out of the way again when things happen or you feel slighted or you feel like oh I should have had this or this ah oh, fuck you know why didn't I get that second uh, you know like how do you are, are you able to take a step back and have some separation from that and go, okay, I know I might feel this thing, but I don't have to react to everything that I feel or every thought. I don't have to chase down every thought that I have, which is a crazy realization. It's kind of like you're talking about social media right now. You're I talking, mean, maybe in a way. These waves of hatred that are so prevalent right now in our society, in our country. Yeah. Waves of hatred. Just so awful. So dispiriting that can suck you into it that can suck you into that hatred and that distrust and 
dislike of everything and it's it's a it's a fool's game you don't want to go there you do, you just got to avoid that stuff yeah it's uh it's it's got it's mob mentality it's in you know it's that that uh it's there's people that are very angry and i think one of the tricks to living right now is to try to find ways to avoid that energy because it's so much so prevalent yeah and i think that comes with finding things in the real world finding communities finding people finding things you're joyful about and not you know constantly trying to uh uh, make people feel bad to make yourself feel better, yeah. which is a thing that mm-hmm. is very easy to do. It used to be very hard to go make someone feel bad to like go because people don't do that in life. You don't walk. Most people will not walk up to you and be like, "You're fucking dumb. Your sweater's <laughs> stupid. Your dog sucks." And fuck you in the face. Like most people aren't going to do that. And so now it's just so effortless to do, it, and it's so easy for people to you know express whatever displeasure they're they're having with their own lives at other people and so you know again i just think what you do here getting people to come together having real world experiences i think it's a uh, it is a bit of an antidote to a lot of that yes, that we're talking I about i believe so because I, I believe what you're talking about all that hatred it has to live in the abstract it mm-hmm. can't live in the specific it's hard well it, it it can live but it takes think about it it takes a lot to say to someone what you just said, like directly say your your sweater sucks and etc. Yeah, right? yeah. But to, it's so easy to do it at your typewriter or your computer or your. It's so easy. It's because <laughs> it's abstract. You're not looking in anyone's eyes. Right. You can hate all you want all day long. Yeah. What I've come to understand also, it's just like a classic projection. The psychological term, mm-hmm. you know, you're basically projecting yourself onto this person you're directing your hate. It's right. really you you're talking about. Yeah. It's really, you're really talking to yourself. And so how do we as individuals fight our ego? How do we conquer that ego? I feel like it's a never ending process. But how can people, because I feel like most people, if they feel dissatisfied or they're unhappy, if they could just figure out some tweaks to either accepting things as they happen and figuring out how to thrive anyway, or get that ego part out of the way, that their lives would improve by an order of magnitude just by being able to figure out how to do that. I'm going to tell you what the answer is. Yes, please. Travel. 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 Go somewhere. If you can't afford to go to another country or another city, just travel. To a, a, a coffee shop, okay, <laughs> and have a conversation with someone in person, and try to see what happens in your day as a result of that conversation. That's the simplest answer I can give you. But when on the grander scale, when you actually have to travel to another culture and experience that culture, your ego goes away. Mm-hmm. You it has to go away. Because it's not your place anymore. Yeah, you're out of place. It's not your world. Right. You have to give over to it. And you have to be polite to get things. And you have to learn some of the language. Yep. In order to find out where to pee. Right. <laughs> right? So it, 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 there is a humility ingrained much. in that. Uh, and I think that's what we're all lacking Myself included, when we're in these moments of conflict, is humility, is lack of ego. 
of, of just giving over to the fact that this person that I disagree with has every right to possess space on this planet. And maybe we can't share that space right now, but that doesn't mean that person's uh, awful or evil. Right. And if they are truly evil, then allow them to be in that evil. Mm-hmm. You cannot change them, but you can change the way you receive it. Right. You don't have to allow it in your face all the time. Right. It's and it's the choices you make. Some where of that's you, on us. Yeah. Where you go, what screen you're opening up on your app. Yeah. A person can only really hurt you so much, and at a certain point, you're kind of engaging in it. After that, and it's yeah. like, how long do you want to drag that on? But I love this idea of get off your home turf and be a visitor. Like that's such a great. It's such a great guy. I hadn't thought. I mean, I know traveling is good to do and it's important, but I just hadn't thought about it in those terms. You're right. You immediately go to the bottom of the pile when you go to another place and you don't know what the fuck. And ever, it's like as frustrated as you can get with people in LA. Where you're like, God, these fucking tourists. Would you just drive? You know, you get to another country and you're the asshole who's blocking everything because you're like, Where's the museum? Where's yeah. the palazzo? God, he's really pretty. Oh my God, have you seen this? We fucking, we don't have anything this old. You know, I mean, it's it really does it really is such a great piece of advice and i think an amazing way to sort of land the podcast i think people uh, is it just actressgang.com is that the website the actressgang.com the actressgang.com uh and the show is it thursday friday saturdays and sunday matinees is that yes. correct we've yes. got a, a handful of sunday matinees sprinkled in there so yeah, yeah. Say check the uh, check the website to make sure through are. march 9th and, yeah and dario fo is a genius he's passed two years ago won the Nobel Prize for literature. And when he won the Nobel Prize, was there was such a, a celebration in Italy, but also uh, there was certain people in Italy that said, Hell no! <laughs> no! Not him! <laughs> Which well, is why I love him. That's how you know he did something. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. He profoundly affected people. Yeah. Is there anything you want to promote besides the show of Vita? Anything you're working on? Anything you want to... No, nah, just this. I love this place. And, uh, I, you know, I'm doing some other stuff. But we'll, I'll come back. Okay, you're talking about that. What about you, Will? Is there anything else you want to plug? No, this is my. This has been my whole life for the past two months. So <laughs> okay. Please come check out the show. We're really proud of it. Yeah, Ball. likewise. This is it. This is it. This is everything right now. So yeah, please, please come on down and check it out. It's, it's. We're very, very proud of it, and we really want to share it with as many people as possible. So, uh, that's it. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you so much. The end. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. And make sure to check out uh, Bachelor the Musical. <laughs> Opening in 2020. Running now through 2034 <laughs> at the Actors Gang. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500.
That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. It's time for Word Salad Wrap. You just listened to ID10T number 985 with Mr. Tim Robbins and Bob Turton and Will McFadden from Actress Gang. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, so today's word rap, <laughs> I mean word salad rap, word rap, <laughs> wordy rappington, wordly rappington, wasn't that a song by Tom Tom Club in the 80s? Did I invent that? Where are my Gen Xers at? Huh? Where are you at out there? You're buying parachute pants. Um, so this, I'm pretty sure I saw this on our stoicism on Reddit, and it was a screen grab from a Twitter account called Crypto Seneca, uh, which I haven't been to, uh, but I just saw this. Uh, I just saw the screen grab, and I imagine it's probably just. At least it looks like it's like, oh, these are you know, daily stoic thoughts that Seneca said or might have said. Things to think about. That, I hope that's what it is. Probably should have gone to it before I just mentioned it. But anyway, I saw this on our stoicism. Uh, so it, uh, it, it this, and this, this was the tweet. Easy to spot a yellow car when you are always thinking of a yellow car. Easy to spot opportunity when you are always thinking of opportunity. Easy to spot reasons to be mad when you are always thinking of being mad. You become what you constantly think about. Watch yourself. So I love this because it, number one, kind of tied into some of the themes and things that we were talking about in the, in the podcast. Um, but it also encapsulates that age-old idea of like, oh, you have two wolves and which one gets powerful? The one you feed. And that's a metaphor for, you know, basically whatever you focus on, you're going to get good at. And you do have that part of your uh, your brain, that attention system that recognizes patterns once you become aware of them. So what patterns are you recognizing in life? Because a lot of times I think it's so easy to just think like, Oh, the world is just doing this or the world is just expressing this. And take a minute. Is it that the world is expressing that or that's what you're noticing about the world? Because the world pretty much expresses everything, I imagine. I would think there's an infinite number of expressions, you know. And we have personal algorithms (laughs) that I think we lock into, which I think is such a great thought that can sort of pull you out of patterns when you realize like, Oh my God, do I, do I have like, do I basically have like a, a, an algorithm that's just automatically picking up all this stuff because I haven't taken the time to step back and reflect on it and rework the algorithm to start looking for different things? Now, again, you know, things might happen to you in life that you can't control. And I always say that as a disclaimer because I don't want you to think that, you know, all you got to do is just change this thing and everything's gonna be perfect. You know, I don't think there is a perfect and that's good, you know, because there's no artistry in perfection. <laughs> the, the the cracks are where the, you know, like the, that, that's where life is interesting. So I don't want you to think it's about perfection. I just want you to think that it's about not only what you consciously focus on, but whatever your personal algorithm is set to focus on. Uh, so just... Try, you know, if you feel like you've been going through a bad negativity, just try to think about other opportunities that you could, when people say focus on, you know, like gratitude is really helps bail you out of a lot of shit. You know, what they're really asking you to do is to focus on positive things because that really does change not only how you feel, but it also changes what you look for. 
even if you're not aware that that's what you're looking for, it happens so fast. Our entire day is set up by personal algorithms because that's how we have to navigate this complex pile of rapidly occurring um, events that is the, the world. So what are you focusing on? What are your personal algorithms? Just take, take a day. Start experimenting with forcing yourself to focus on different things and see if you can achieve an emotional outcome that is different than what you're experiencing. And it may not happen overnight, you know, because this stuff becomes habitual, right? I mean, it's algorithmic in a way. It's neurochemical algorithms. And so it, it's habitual and habits take a little bit to change. But I promise if you make some efforts and you constantly check in with it, and even if you slide back a little bit, oh, wait, I'm doing that old thing again. This is the new algorithm. Just see what that does. See what that does to your life in a day, two days, four days, five days, a month from now, three months from now, six months from now. Catalog it. I'm not trying to give you homework because no one likes that. But, you know, if you write it down, if you journal and you kind of keep track of your feelings and, you know, as you as you progress, it'll be a really I, – I promise you won't regret it in like six months where you go, holy shit, because then you can see the physical data of the change and the transformation. So that that's what it is today. Uh, just – Think about what you focus on and that remember your brain is set up to sort of auto respond <laughs> because that requires less energy to do it that way. And uh, it's just something we all do. It's just how we sort through the world. Nothing wrong with it, but just a reminder that you are more in control of it than you might have realized. So um, that's it. I hope you have uh, uh, an incredible day um, and uh, I will uh, see you in your ears very shortly, because uh, I think we're posting a few bonus episodes this week, as we are wont to do. So focus on that, why don't you? All right, I appreciate you. Take care. ID 10 scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. I have missed these Friday night dinners. Mm. Hey, welcome to Harvey Graw! At these family dinners. Delicious, everyone! Dysfunction is served. I can't have you all messing things up for my entire adult life. Oh, I'm sorry. Do we embarrass you? Jump, jump, jump! It's already better than I dared to dream. They're extra. Let the wild rumpus start! And they're embarrassing. We know how hard it is to move on from the first girl that you ever slept with. Not the first girl who I ever slept with. Yeah, 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 right. You're a regular lady killer. I thought you said it was going to be boring here tonight. No! I really hoped it would be. But they couldn't love each other more. It's mom and dad being totally normal. Wow. So, dinner next Friday, everyone? Wouldn't miss for the world. Dinner with the Parents, Season 1. Stream free, only on Freebie.